day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all, all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we may have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. What a blessing it is to read your word. It is perfect as you, Lord, intended it to be. I pray that this message will be delivered well and that the church will benefit from it. Let your glory be seen in all that is said. Amen. Please be seated. Let me tell you, the first time I came up here and preached, the church was half empty, and Pastor Travis was not here. This church is now packed, and I am going to be judged from the front row. No. no. Just don't be distracting. (laughs) Especially uh, with the amount of coffee I've had. It's a little jittery. All right, so these verses... In these verses, there's a hundred and si- it's a 106-word sentence. It's just one sentence. As my wife said, it's very, very much like Paul to do that. There's a lot of good things here to unpack, but let's start with the opening. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray. And since it starts with, and so, we need to reveal a little bit of what Anthony taught us last time a long time ago, about when we had first gotten into Colossians, Colossians 1, 1 through 8. In Anthony's sermon, he unpacked three points. Point number one, we will hear the Lord communicate through his word. We will learn Paul is an apostle called by God. Timothy is with him in training. Paul cares so very much for both the church and for doing the work of God. Paul writes uh, with the authority of God, and it is a closed canon. Point number two, praise God for the advancement of the gospel. We see that Christ is God, through or faith through love is best, hope is the virtue, be heavenly focused. And then point number three was share the gospel. In this, we learn Paul was probably in jail, but this didn't stop him. We need to share the gospel to honor Christ and be prepared to reason for the hope we have. Now, there's one more thing that Anthony talked about that is important. This is why it starts with, and so. From the day we heard, we had not stopped, or we had not ceased to pray. So what does Paul hear? What, what it causes him to continue to pray, to pray without ceasing? Well, in this verse, Paul's talking about what is said in verse 8. But he did not stop there. He goes on and says, continuously, without end. Now, this isn't a point, but I wanted to explain why it starts this way and why, or and point out what a blessing it is to have a brother in the faith praying for you. What a blessing it must be, have been, to have Paul praying for your church. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but that, that's impressive. Praying and joy. Like, this is a core part of Paul's character. We see in Romans uh, 1, 8 through 10. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. 
Now, aside from a biblical hero mentioning you to God, what about us? What a beautiful act it is to have a brother or sister pray to God for you, to go before the Creator and petition for you, and even thank the Lord for having counted you as this person's brother or sister. So church, please pray for one another. We all need it. We don't even need to know what to pray for. Simply lift them up in prayer. This is, this is such an act of love. This is, call, this is a calling for us as a church to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to walk with one another. This is a huge part of being in a church. It's the most important part of fellowship. Even Paul asks for prayer in 2 Thessalonians 3. He says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happening and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. Here we see a man is far off, but recognizing these people as part of the church. He's probably not met the Colossians, but he knows it's his duty to pray for them. He knows that it is the best thing for them. We see again in Ephesians 1, 15 through 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, who do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Then he writes this to give encouragement, to let them know he is truly concerned with their walk in Christ. Like I said earlier, I don't know about you, but if Pastor Travis got up here and he was reading a handwritten letter from Paul, that would be encouraging. But we can do the same. We can encourage each other. Let us be as Paul. Let us be as Paul was and pray for one another and encourage one another and be in one another's lives. And when I say praying, I don't mean, I don't mean just a prayer. I mean always. Make it a discipline. It is work. Make it a habit so that way that is who you are. Pray that this church continue to grow in the faith and wisdom and understanding of the scriptures. This is how we pray for each other and we pray for our church. Small side story, um, when I was writing this, I was actually eavesdropping in through Skype on the men's uh, Thursday night fellowship or Thursday night Bible study, which if you're not a part of that, men, I would highly encourage you to be there. Uh, it's a good time, we learn a lot, and it's a good way to fellowship for each other and learn how to pray for each other. So I'd highly encourage you to be there. But while I was writing this, I was eavesdropping in, and they were going through their prayer requests, and everyone mentions the things in their lives that need certain prayer for, and I happen to hear Noah, Noah Fur, who is currently gone, and he was just asking for prayer, and he was telling us a little bit about the ebb and flow of his life, but when it all came down to it, it was just a pithy comment of, just pray for me. It wasn't, you know, pray for my travels or pray for my family while I'm gone. It was the simple, just pray. That says a lot. I mean, he's simply asking for us to lift him up before the Lord, to remember him in love. I'm not asking the church to needle in everyone's business. We're not going to go around, you know, gossiping or using the catch of, oh, uh, pray for this person so I can say some gossipy thing about them. No, it's just simply pray for them. 
This is good for our souls. Okay, all that, now that that review and a little soapboxy stuff is done, let's jump in. Paul says in verse 9 and 10, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So point number one is, seek spiritual wisdom and understanding pleasing to the Lord. Seek spiritual wisdom and understanding pleasing to the Lord. My wife makes me repeat that because y'all need time to write things down, and I guess I speak too fast. So Paul is petitioning the Lord to fill the church with knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Spiritual wisdom and understanding. When the world today hears the term spiritual wisdom, it has a completely different view of what is meant here. Someone from the world might hear this and think to themselves, I'll clear my mind of everything and let the universe speak to me. These these phrases, man, they make me cringe. I will get to know my inner self better by looking inside myself and finding what makes me happy or wise. It's as if they think they have some kind of hidden knowledge locked inside of them, a wisdom, and they just simply have to find the cheat code to unlock their own hidden wisdom. Instead of seeking the divine God who who puts wisdom in us, it's not from us, it's from him. It'd be like someone handing you a textbook. But you're in school, they give you a textbook, it has all the answers to the upcoming test, it's got all the wisdom that you need to pass this class, But because you believe that you have some secret wisdom in you, you never open it. You think you have your own access to this book. Everything we need is in that book, given to us to learn, but we know better. Even when someone calls themselves a Christian, even some calling themselves Christians will use worldly methods as an attempt to gain more wisdom. These worldly Christians may use methods like, and I'm going to mess this word up, Lectio Divina or divine reading, a meditation method where one will read a text out of context and then use Eastern meditation methods of clearing the mind and repeating this verse in a way to get a deeper understanding of Christ, deeper than what is sufficient or the sufficiency of what the word offers, in an attempt to gain some insight into what was really meant in the text that we're getting, that we're assuming getting wrong, that's why we need to do it, and hope that it leads to unlocking personal wisdom. So I guess Lectio, however you say it, would be the cheat code to your own personal knowledge. That absolutely cracks me up that someone can think, I can find wisdom by dumping my mind out. Like, I'm going to be completely empty, and somehow I will find wisdom in that manner. To the world, that's spiritual wisdom. To be in line with the ebb and flow of the energy around them and connected to one's inner self. So in the job I am, I have the honor of seeing the insides of people. And I'm here to tell you, (laughs) there is nothing pleasant or wise about the inner person. There is nothing that doesn't stink and nothing that isn't slimy. Don't look inside yourself for wisdom. So badly, I want to tell these people when they say they, they're feeling like they're not in alignment. They're not in alignment with the universe. They're not in alignment with, with themselves. I want to say, hey, man, maybe you have some digestive issues. 
Because that's just not right. So then what is spiritual wisdom to us? Spiritual wisdom is having an understanding of God. Who he is, what he is actively doing to understand the depths of our sin and what God has done for our salvation. This is not wisdom about how to best make a decision on a retirement plan. Uh, but the things of God and the order he has established in his creation. It's about how to live, think, function according to the way God has designed our spiritual lives. So why is it important for us to have spiritual wisdom and understanding? Well, according to the verse, it's pleasing to the Lord. It's a pretty simple answer. Why? It pleases him. So quick side note, or tangent here a little bit. I know it's easy to sit here and give a Sunday school answer to questions like, like this, but let me tell you why sometimes these Sunday school answers are the best. And if you don't know what a Sunday school answer is, it means giving the easy, the easy obvious answer. It's not wrong, but it's not fleshed out either according to the way a Sunday school teacher would want to work through it. It's not what they're looking for. An example, why should we pray for help from spiritual temptation but flee from sin, uh, sexual sin? Because Jesus said so. Why must we kill our sins? Because the Bible says so. These are Sunday school answers. Neither of these are wrong, but they're not fleshed out the way that maybe the teacher was digging for. But I'm going to go with the Sunday school answer in this and build on that. Because it pleased the Lord. One of the many things that the Bible does is tell us who God is and what God wants. It gives us his character and shows it never changes. Sometimes we see people say, well... God can do whatever he wants. Yeah. As an argument to something outside the parameters given already in the Bible. Or God is showing me he wants me to do this thing. As this thing may be counterintuitive to the Bible, but said person thinks it's okay. Or lastly, I think it's okay to worship in my own way, like going on a nature walk because the outdoors is my church. Well, the simple Bible answer reminds us that God has already told us what he wants and what is right and how he works. So yes, God can do whatever he wants. He did what he wanted, and then he showed us, this is what I want. So when I get that, that remark, well, God can do whatever he wants, the answer is yes, and he did. He has already done all the speaking and given us all his word and will. For us, it is up to us, it's not up to us to reinvent worship or seek out new ideas. God tells us what worship is, God tells us how his order or tells us the order of works, he tells us what the church is and how it should be run. God tells us his will in a closed canon that he inspired and kept and keeps. And if God wanted to do something else, he wouldn't have closed the canon. He shows us that what he says is and doesn't change. So when he shows what he wants or what his will is in a non-changing text, and we say things like, God put this thing on my heart to do what is counter to his will or change the parameters of, of his order, like worship and importance of hearing the word, then we have erred and we lack wisdom. Simple answers like God said remind us that Remind us that it has already been written and demonstrates his authority in the matter. 
Now, why is is it pleasing to the Lord? Well, we got to ask, what is pleasing to the Lord? His glory. God's glory being revealed is pleasing to the Lord. Here we see uh, having spiritual wisdom and understanding pleases the Lord, so it must mean it reveals God's glory to us. And remember, when we glorify God and please God, we enjoy and bask in the benefits of his glory. How? We gain wisdom that rights our lives and helps us walk in a right manner. And walking in a right manner is pleasing to the Lord. It shows the glory of God. And this, in turn, draws us nearer to God, causing us, as, or causing us an active sanctification leading to the mortification of sin. And that, in turn, justifies God more. And all this shows God's love for his people. We give God all the glory, and he gives us eternal life and love. Now, before we get into this next point, I wanted to add another reason why it's good for us to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding lead to discernment, and discernment is something this world, and I would even say us Christians, are lacking today. Bless you. Discernment helps keep the body in God's word. I'm going to say that one more time. Discernment helps keep the body in God's word. It helps us to walk in a right manner. It protects us from going down every wicked rabbit hole. To be able to discern is to be able to know when something is wise, unwise, right, or wrong. For example, should a Christian be reading a book that is written by a person claiming to be a Christian who claims to be writing within the boundaries of a Christian worldview, but their teaching, when tested against Scripture, shows this author is not a Christian? And what is being taught is really just a secular worldview and teaches things like it's okay to divorce for any reason and seek the real you, you know, that stinky inside. Because that might make you happy. When we have discernment, we would know that this is unwise, and, we would, and it would cause confusion. We have a guard from people that would lead us astray with strange and incorrect argument. It puts a barrier between us and the wicked of the earth. Having spiritual wisdom and discernment protects us from Satan and lures of our own flesh so that we might live a life to God's glory. And yes, I put having discernment helps you from you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So let's be pleasing to the Lord by walking in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, point number two. Live a life worthy of the Lord. That's live a life worthy of the Lord. Colossians 1, 10 through 11. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Here we see Paul pointing out why we should live in a spiritual why we should live in spiritual wisdom and understanding as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now I don't know about you, but I have to stop there for a minute because first I think, well, what does it mean? What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and am I doing that? Am I doing it rightly? And then my head starts to think, well, I struggled just simply to follow Mark 12.30. 
And so you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, with all your strength. Can anyone honestly say that they do this? Do they love the Lord with everything they have? I get up here this morning, or I, I, I don't get up in the morning and run over to my neighbor's door and beat on it and start screaming about Jesus at him. Do we never let any distractions enter our lives so that at no point our mind is not on God? Do you sometimes just turn on the TV and zone out? You failed. When you woke up this morning with your first thought on God, you failed. When you're getting cranky or hangry, you're not thinking about God, you're thinking about food, you failed. It's not everything you got. So how do we do this? How do we love the Lord or please the Lord? It is to our loss that we fail this. So now i got to get nervous. If I fail daily to love the Lord with every ounce that I have, then how can I walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord? By waking up daily, dying to self, asking for forgiveness, and then praying to the Holy Spirit to continue to work on me, to sanctify me, to mortify my sin, to give me more faith. Pray for faith. But it must also be in the Word and in church. Well, this comes, it comes back to this. One of the ways the Spirit does this is to convict us, show us in His Word. In this reading of His Word, we have the Apostle Paul saying, He's praying for us to do this. That's how I say, I know it's a good thing for us to pray for each other. I got the wisdom from the Word. This goes back to what I said in the beginning. And what I just now said, praying for each other that God's work in us and praying for yourself for your walk in Christ. William, uh, his last name is Hendrickson, a commentator on Colossians, puts it like this. The apostle and those who are with him pray that the Colossians may walk or conduct themselves in harmony with the responsibilities which their new relationship to God imposes and with the blessing which this new relationship brings, there must be nothing half-hearted about this manner of life. On the contrary, it must be, a God, it must be to God's complete delight, a conscious striving to please God in everything. End quote. We must perfectly conduct ourselves for God, and we must strive to do it every day because every day we fail. I know I do. Despise the failure, we must still run the race. We don't quit. Now, I said earlier to achieve this, this uh, to run this race, we must be in the world, or we must be in the word, I need to stop doing that, and in the church. This is because this is a means by which we learn more about God and are filled with the Spirit to have spiritual wisdom. Getting to know God better leads to a deeper love of God, and a deeper love of God leads to obedience of God. That obedience in God is how we think, act, and feel, leads that that obedience to God in how we think, act, and feel leads to a deeper understanding of God. And then the circle just keeps getting stronger. This is the striving. This is the race. So Paul goes on with four points of the sanctification process. In every good, in every good work bearing fruit, we must have fruit to show as believers. Do we go to church? Do we read our Bibles? Do we love one another? Do we pray for one another? Do we look different than the world? Do we support one another? This is important. But know that it, is, it isn't work done. 
I know I typed this wrong. This isn't work, or this important, but know that it's work done in Christ. It's the branch that comes out of being a believer. It is not the root. Our works are not what put us in Christ, but what come out of following Christ. It's what makes our good work good. The work that we do because it's in Christ. Number two, growing in the clear knowledge of God. We must always be growing in a knowledge of God. We start with a knowledge, but that's not the end. We must not grow stagnant in understanding. Even Paul prays for increased knowledge to God, to know God in Philippians 3.10. Paul, who already knew Jesus, is praying to know more. In the men's study group we're going through, um, we're going through Hebrews. I'm going to keep plugging that. Last week we're working through uh, what it, well, when I wrote this, we were working through what it was to be fed milk. And how this people, these people were not eating meat yet. Now, we're talking not about actual milk and meat, but we're talking about understanding the Lord, the wisdom of the Lord, growing in the Lord. They were still children, and they shouldn't have been there. They had grown stagnant. So that's why we must always be in the Lord. Number three, being invigorated with all vigor. This vigor comes from a knowledge of God that brings power. Power to endure with long-suffering power to resist the tempter, a confidence in our salvation, and to refute those that would put doubt in us. Here, we also see that we're able to endure long-suffering as he gives us to, or gives to us according to his might. This is a gift from our Lord, a promise that he will sustain us, not in money or in health, but in spirit. It is there for us because we are weak. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Number four, with joy, giving thanks to the Father. This one is truly a fruit that shows in sanctification. We can give thanks to the Father for the Son with such joy for what has been done for us, a dead people brought to life. In our patient, long-suffering, and general hardships, we can find a reason to be thankful for such joy. A real joy that that may start as a practice or a discipline, but it ends with full It ends with a full spirit of love and contentment in the Lord. I sat on this one for a little bit because I've been through some hard spots, some life-threatening things. I've had no money. We've had family conflict, and I've suffered loss. But in it, I could find joy because I had the Lord. And with the Lord, I had something to be thankful for, even at my lowest. He gives us everything freely, including the very breath we take. We must be thankful every day, even in the hard times. Doing these four things are examples of what it means to walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord. And with them, we must be thankful. Thankful, for, thankful both that 
he has shown us what to do and thankful that he has shown us how to do it. Verse 12 through 13, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the uh, domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. These Colossians were Gentiles, separate from the covenant with God. They are brought into the light and given holiness. On Friday night, I went to the Reformation conference that was at a different church. I don't plug other churches, so I won't name it. Uh, and one of, the great ex- one of the great examples given was he takes you from one group of people and puts you in another group of people. These people were not in the covenants. But he took them and put them in there. So that way they could share in the inheritance. Pulled out of the darkness and given citizenship to the kingdom. Not by any works, not by a bloodline, but by simple grace and love of the Son. That is something to be thankful for. Not your 401k, not your health, or even how well your kids are doing in school. It's just simply Jesus. So point number three. Give thanks to the Father for salvation through his Son. Give thanks to the Father for salvation through his Son. We have covered that we need to pray to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. We are told to walk perfectly to please the Lord. We know we cannot get discernment or walk perfectly for God, so how do we do this? We'll look at Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the answer. He, the Father, qualifies us. Not us, but he. So that we might get the inheritance of his promise. The promise of glory. He, the Father, has delivered us from the rule of darkness. Our will was wrapped up in the bondage of wickedness. He has given us citizenship to the kingdom. A kingdom that is ruled by his son. His son has paid the price for our redemption through the destruction of his own body. And by his resurrection, we are made holy that we may enter his kingdom. Because of this, we respond in obedience and mortify our sins as a fruit of our salvation. How, does it, how do we do this work? By the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Notice at no point I'm saying you actually do this. Every time I bring, we can't finish this race, we can't do this thing, I have to bring it back. It's because God does it. God puts the wisdom in us. God sanctifies us. God mortifies us. He does this through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit fills us with the wisdom of discernment, the strength to destroy our sins, and is our helper when we need to be filled with the vigor of God's strength. He gives us the endurance. Believer, take comfort. Be filled with joy and know you have hope in the work of the Lord. Know that when you seek him, read his word, and lean into the church, God will be there. He gives us life, his righteousness, and his power 
to find joy in the midst of tribulation. We see in these verses that we already are hell-bound, destined to the darkness, but by the action of Christ, we are brought into the, into the light. We see that we get to partake in his internal kingdom. This can only be grace. To know we're judged for our sins, but that judgment was paid. Paid by the beloved son of the father. Our sins are covered, and he gives us life. We don't deserve this. We can't do anything for it. We can't earn it. But the Lord did this. And even crying, or even my crying to God is from him. Glory be to God for that. Unbelievers know that this is a gift for anyone that cries out for salvation. Repent, believe, and obey. Your forgiveness is free. He's done it. He's done the work. Come to Christ and find rest, strength, and wisdom. If you don't know how to do this, seek an elder. Any of us are here for you. Seek a deacon. Just find a believer. Because if, if you're a believer, you should be able to share the gospel. That's, that's, your, that's your primary commission. And on that, I'll say again, believers take joy. Find rest. Unbelievers, seek Christ. Find that rest. Be filled with his joy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day, this beautiful day of rest. Thank you for your word that is comforting to hear. Please continue to bless this church and help us continue to be faithful to you and walk in a way that is truly pleasing to you. Only you can do that for us, Lord. In Christ we pray, amen.